Welcome once again to Advance, an NCEES podcast series. I'm your host, Davey McDowell, Chief Operating Officer at NCEES, and I'm really excited to once again get the chance to talk to a longtime colleague of mine, Tim Miller. Tim is the Chief Officer of Examinations for NCEES, and he is the expert for everything engineering and surveying exam-related. This episode is part two in a two-part series with Tim. In the first episode, we went in-depth about how the pandemic is affecting the testing process and what NCEES is doing to try and help make the testing experience as seamless and transparent as possible. In today's episode, Tim will talk about how engineering and surveying exams are created and scored, and he'll provide important computer-based testing updates. Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Welcome back to the podcast, Tim. Can you talk a little bit more about what exams are currently in computer-based testing, a little bit about the transition from the exams from pencil and paper, and kind of where we stand? Sure. We started back in 2010, the council, we're all part of the Council of Licensing Boards, and the council passed a motion that said we would trans transition all of our exams from pencil and paper-based to computer-based. And what that has allowed us to do is to go from offering it only twice a year to, in many cases, offering it all year round. So in 2014, we transitioned our Fundamentals of Engineering exam, and that allowed us to take 50,000 people a year who normally take that exam and remove them from the pencil and paper arena where they could now schedule their appointments all throughout the year when they want to do it. And that allowed us to test many more people and at their convenience. Once we converted the fundamentals of engineering, we also at the same time converted the fundamentals of surveying exam. And then we started working on our professional exams. We have the professional surveying exam that we also transitioned to 2016. And then in 2018, we started to transition our professional engineering exams. We are in the process still of transitioning those exams as there are many. We still have the civil exam as our largest PE exam. It, it will be the last professional engineering exam to transition, and it will transition in uh, April of 22. Now we were scheduled to transition that in 2023. However, with the pandemic, we have worked very closely with Pearson View, our partner, and with our exam development committee, so subject matter experts that help us write all the questions, and our internal staff to try and pull those transition schedules in closer, because obviously it's much easier to control testing centers where there are fewer people than it is large pencil and paper sites. Yeah, so you mentioned a couple of things that I want to follow up a little bit on. So you mentioned the the civil PE exam as being your largest volume professional engineering exam. Kind of give us an idea or a range of, of what the exams are like, the fundamentals of engineering exam, the PE exam. What kind of, what kind of volumes are we talking about? Well, for our fundamentals of engineering exam, we have typically we run in the 40 to 50,000 takers per year. 
everyone told us that when we transitioned, it would be a big change. And as uh, people who know me are know that I'm fond of saying that people in general and engineers in particular do not like change, but that when we transitioned from pencil and paper to computer, we would see a decrease in our volume. And we did. We uh, Our last pencil and paper offerings, we were above 50,000 per year. It dropped down much lower into the upper 30s. Uh, and we are, have gradually been adding people back in and we were almost back up to where we were before we converted the FE exam and then COVID hit. So the we're back down into the low 40s and it's gonna take us a little while to get back up to speed to get everybody to be able to test. Our professional engineering exams are much more typically there. We will have 25 to 30,000 PE takers every year. And the, the largest majority of that, two thirds of that, 20,000 or so are civil. That's the largest one. On the surveying side, we will typically have in a year, we'll have close to a thousand FS takers, which is our fundamentals of surveying. And then our, our professional surveying exam, those would typically run in the seven, 800 range. You, you mentioned exams and the PE exams. Obviously, there's more than, than civil because you talked about them, the civil PE exam being about two-thirds of the exam volume for the professional side. About how many exams does NCWS put together each year? Well, it depends on how you qualify that, but, but we have over 30 different exams. So we have seven FE exams, uh, and they are different disciplines from civil, chemical, uh, mechanical, uh, that kind of thing. So we have seven different FE exams. And the same thing with the PE exams. We have approximately 24 or so. Uh, The civil exam has five different depth modules. So really that's five different civil exams from transportation to geotechnical to construction uh, so, and then there are, we have mechanical, electrical, uh, those are our largest exams. Uh, and then we have a chemical, we have a PE environmental exam, and then we have smaller volume exams that are in some of the smaller disciplines, such as fire protection, petroleum, metallurgical, nuclear control systems. So we cover a, a lot of the disciplines in our exam program. So one of the things you mentioned was the transition of the the PE exams from a pencil and paper over to a computer-based test. Why not just convert all of the exams over to CBT since we've since you also basically said or, or, allude, or alluded to the fact that the, the computer-based testing centers can allow for a little bit more social distancing and because they're open year-round as opposed to those two days a year when we have the pencil and paper exams, why not just transition all of the exams at one time and just be done with it? Well, transitioning the exams is a very involved process. It's not just taking the pencil and paper exams and just making them available on the computer, it's much more involved in that. Our pencil and paper exams, when they were given, especially for the PE exams, were what they were open book. People could bring in whatever references they wanted. They bring in 
rolling carts. They bring in suitcases. They bring, I have even seen a rolling bookcase full of references that they bring in. The computer exams and in the testing centers are not set up to be able to handle those kinds of references and to be able from a exam security standpoint, we're very concerned about protecting our intellectual property. So we want to make sure that that people aren't able to write down questions in the exam and all that. So our, our computer exams are what they are closed book, what we call a provided re, a provided reference or a supplied reference. And so each of our exam committees as part of their transition has to develop a supplied reference book. Now our fundamentals of engineering exam for years had a supplied reference book, even when it was pencil and paper. And that was the only reference that examinees were able to use during the exam. So that was fairly straightforward to transition that to computer-based, but our professional exams did not have any kind of a supplied reference in, when we were in pencil and paper. So that has to be developed by our committees. And that's a, a very involved process, trying to make sure that we are providing the examinees all of the reference material that they need to be able to answer the questions where we can determine if they are minimally competent or not. So we either have to provide that information with the exam questions or make it available to them as an electronic file. So the way that works is in our testing center, each testing center has, each station has a 24 inch monitor and that monitor is divided up. The real estate of the monitor is divided in half. So on the right half of the screen, there will be the questions that are being asked. And on the left-hand side are, are the reference materials. So that may be the reference book. It may have additional tabs uh, for additional standards, codes and standards. And that's very important to our, our examinees where disciplines, where they rely more on codes and standards such as our electrical PE power exam requires the uh, National Electric Code. So we are able to provide that electronically for the examinees on exam day. And these are searchable documents so that they can look at what they need. And this will be important as we move forward with the civil exam because those five exams have the most codes and standards beyond what would be supplied in a reference book. And the reference book is also, it is not a teaching tool. It is strictly, it contains equations that we would not expect the examinees to have to memorize. It is not to teach them the topics. It's not to teach them how to solve the questions. It is strictly so that information that they require, steel shaped tables and things like that, so that they don't have to uh, uh, memorize or derive any of the equations. You you alluded to something or mentioned something and I want to I want to follow up a little bit on it. You talked about exam committees and the exam committees were working on references and working on trying to, to you know to get the the PE reference material ready uh, for use in the uh, during the CBT transition. Tell me a little bit about exam committees. Who are these people? Where do they come from? What are their backgrounds? Is there anything magical about becoming an exam committee member? Our exam committees are the backbone of our exam program or they're subject matter experts. These are people that volunteer their time 
But in a typical year, they come to our building several times a year, the different disciplines, and these people would help us write items, assemble exams, review questions, review statistics, and they volunteer their time. We pay for their travel expenses, but these are people who want to get back to their profession. And I always say I have the best job in the world. We have over 800 volunteers, and these people all want to be here, and they all want to help, and we all speak the same language. I have a great job working with all these volunteers. They come to us from all over. We are very particular as part of the exam process. We want to make sure that we have diversity in our exam volunteers, our subject matter experts. So, But they come to us from industry, from academia. They come to us from government agencies. Uh, they all volunteer. We get them from word of mouth. We have a area on our website where people can volunteer. Many of our licensing boards, the people that make up those licensing boards who are appointed in their state, usually by their governor, many of them want to volunteer so they understand how the exams are put together. So we have people literally coming from all over the country to help us put these exams together. And we make sure that they are, the main requirement is that they all have to be licensed. These are people who are licensed in their field. They are uh, subject matter experts in their areas of expertise. We get those from word of mouth. People will suggest, hey, this is somebody we, we could use. We track all of their demographics. They give us all of their information so that we have a defense of these are the people who write our exam questions and develop our, our exams. So the exam volunteers that we have, uh, NCWS has, comes in, they work on exam questions, they work on you know, um, uh, getting the reference materials put together for the exam. So I understand that you have uh, this exam development pool of volunteers. However, how does NCWS figure out what needs to be tested on a given exam? Uh, well, that's a good question. And honestly, before I started working for the council, I just assumed there were people in a building somewhere who just thought these are things we need to test and we should just make up questions for those areas. And that is very far from the truth. We go through a very detailed and rigorous process. The process that we use, it's called a PACS, Professional Activities and Knowledge Study. And so what we do, we work with our psychometric partner, and let me explain psychometrics briefly. These are people who are consultants to us who are, their field of study is testing and behavioral testing for uh, examinees and, and the general population. So these are people who have at least a PhD, if not multiple, and their job is dealing with the statistics and dealing with the testing. Uh, they are our testing experts. So we provide all of the technical knowledge and they provide all the testing knowledge. So they lead us through this process. And briefly how we do that is we have a committee of people to talk about what they think is important pick a certain discipline, let's just pick, we'll pick the mechanical uh, disciplines. So we would have a group of mechanical licensed engineers who would be led through this discussion on items that they, things that they feel are important for a mechanical engineer to be knowledgeable in and to demonstrate their competence in. 
in order to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. That's our ultimate goal, is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. So what do these people need to know in order to be able to do that? And they come up with their list of knowledges and topics, and our testing consultant then takes that and puts it in the form of a questionnaire that we then send out to as many licensed engineers uh, in this case, mechanical engineers as we can, and ask them to provide us their input. So for a particular topic, we ask them how important, and they rate it on a scale from zero to five of how important this is for somebody who is entering the licensure field or becoming licensed, how important is it that they be minimally competent in that area in order to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public? We get all of that information back and our psychometric consultant analyzes all that information and comes back and things that are, that are above a certain level, those are the items that get, that are tested. And then this committee then develops the actual specification. And these are all on our website that for each discipline that shows here are the topics that'll be tested and we get input from our questionnaire about how, how many questions we should ask in that area, uh, what percentage of those questions should be asked. And so this allows us, this gives us the defensible link that here is how we decided. So it's not just NCES deciding what needs to be tested. It's not some people locked up in a room who are deciding. It's actually the, in this case, the mechanical engineering community, licensed community that determines what is most important to be tested. And then those specifications are approved by, again, we work for all the licensing boards and there are several oversight committees. These are many of my bosses that uh, we have to report to, to take that specification to the engineering exam oversight committee for them to approve before then we can offer that as an exam. So it's a very detailed process. I guess in a short summary, can you explain scoring of the exams? I mean, NCWS does not have a, a set rate that we want to pass this many people. It's, it's based on something different. Can you give just a, a, a short or quick explanation on the scoring of the NCWS exams? Yeah, scoring for our exams, there are a lot of myths about how we score our exams. We do not. And I will emphasize that again, we do not score our exams based on a certain percentage of examinees passing the exam. That has been around for years that we set the passing score so that a certain number of people pass. That is not true. We set, we go through again, this is a process we go through with our psychometric consultant to set the passing score at the level where Again, a group comes in of subject matter experts from the, that particular field, and they actually take an exam and they, they review the questions and they discuss as a group, what does it take for someone in that discipline to be minimally competent? And it works out that it will tell us that, all right, for this particular exam, how many questions do they need to get right in order to pass? So how many questions would a a minimally competent examinee have to answer correctly in order to pass. And, and this is a very difficult concept for some people to understand. We could certainly write 
questions to determine who the smartest examinee is. We could write really hard questions. We could write really easy questions that, that could tell it, but then those don't help us. All they, we want to know, we're looking at that minimally competent examinee, someone who is competent to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. And then what we are able to do moving forward with that is to take that minimally competent level and, tran and translate that to each form and each exam that is given for that particular discipline. So again, that's what allows us so that if you're taking the exam and I'm taking the same exam, even though we have different questions, we, we're being compared to that minimum standard, not to each other. And it's not, since your questions in some topics might be a little more difficult than mine, and some of in my other topics might be a little more difficult than yours or less difficult, we're able to uh, fine tune how many are required in order to uh, pass the exam so that all the examinees are being compared to that, to that standard. And uh, so that's another myth is that they are being compared against, <laughs> there are all sorts of conspiracy theories that they're being compared against the people who have taken the exam that particular time and that day or that week uh, it is not that they are compared to the minimal the, the standard for minimal competence that has been set by this psychometric process and approved by our oversight committee they are involved throughout the whole process well that sounds great uh, thank you again tim for joining us today uh, you've provided our listeners with some very relevant and timely information uh, again, thanks, and um, we'll talk soon. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. We hope you found this exam update helpful. If you can, please take a minute to leave us a review. This simple action can help others, like yourself, find and share this podcast.